Hello and welcome to the Full of Beans podcast, hosted by myself, Hannah, a registered associate nutritionist and your favourite crazy bean. Full of Beans is on a mission to reduce eating disorder stigma and increase eating disorder awareness. Together, we will establish inspiring conversations with a range of individuals, including those with personal experience and their loved ones, as well as clinicians, researchers and charities who are all working to increase the understanding of eating disorders. Using my personal battle with atypical anorexia and body dysmorphia, as well as my Masters in Eating Disorders and Clinical Nutrition, we will together explore the experiences of like-minded individuals who are equally as passionate about sharing their stories to increase the understanding of eating disorders. Please note that this podcast discusses sensitive topics and should not be seen as a replacement for evidence-based therapy or treatment. Today I'm joined by Cara Lissett. Cara is a mental health nurse and blogger who has her own story regarding her recovery from her eating disorder whilst living with bipolar disorder. Hello Cara. Hello. How are you today? I'm good thank you, how are you? Yeah I'm not bad thank you, I'm absolutely freezing. I don't know why it's so cold still in April, but apart from that I'm doing good. Good. <laughs> yeah it's really nice to have you on today I've thoroughly enjoyed I follow you on Instagram and I think your Instagram page is very motivating and very real so I'm very excited to have a discussion with you today I wanted to start off by you sharing if it's okay with you your experience of your eating disorder and sort of your story of where you've come from yeah, so I first got diagnosed with an eating disorder when I was about 12 or 13, which I'm 30 now, so um, about 18 years ago. And then I was under CAMS until I was 18 and um, had like a day patient and an inpatient admission in that time. And then I did all right for a couple of years. And then when I was about 20, I had like a big relapse and went under adult services. And then I've basically just been in and out of the adult service for the last mm-hmm. 10 years. I've had sort of breaks in that time where I've been relatively well, where, you know, for like a couple of years at a time and then things go a bit wrong again and I end up going back. And then most recently I went back in 2019 and then did outpatient and had a day patient admission then. And I got discharged in March this year, but hopefully the final time. (laughs) Oh, that's really good to hear that you got discharged. So well done. And I'm sure that's a nice feeling to, to not have to keep going back. I suppose if I could maybe ask some like personal questions what is the eating disorder that you were diagnosed with? Interchangeably anorexia and purging disorder so anorexia like all through my teenage years and then when I first went back to the eating disorder service and then I got diagnosed with purging disorder in 2017 and then anorexia again in 2019. Okay and so just if people listening don't know what that means what does the purging disorder of it mean? Um, purging disorders basically it's like similar to bulimia but without binges so it's sort of relatively normal eating but with like purging behaviors around us mm-hmm. that might be like um, laxatives or exercise or vomiting those sort of behaviors um, but okay. without any of the like binging that comes alongside of it. And did you notice any differences because you've obviously been through quite a lot of different types of services do you think there was a, a big difference when you were doing the child services to when you're an adult that you noticed yeah really big difference because 
firstly like when I was under CAMS I didn't have like a specialist eating disorder service they were just like a generic mental health team so I didn't get like that much really specific like targeted support for my eating disorder it was more just for like my general mental health Mm. and then the thing about adult services as well is you have to just take an enormous amount of responsibility for yourself and your own recovery Um, and if you don't you'll just get discharged because they've got really long waiting lists there's a lot of people need help and that's not to say that you know immediately they'll just kick you out the door but Mm. they do want to see that there's some sort of effort going on in your part to try and recover and that was a really big shock for me I think going from cans to that sort of attitude where you know I turned up and they said what do you want like how are you going to help yourself and I was like I don't know that's why I've come here and it was quite a shock for me to be like oh actually this is mostly my responsibility to do this with them just helping me along rather than in cams it sometimes feels like it's the other way around so that's a really big change I think. And do you think that was a positive change for you in that because I know like I personally went through camps and when I was in camps it was kind of like the responsibility I guess was handed over to my parents for a while and I think whilst you do need that at the start sometimes that can be sort of you maybe don't learn how to cope with situations because it's almost like you're put in the situation and you have to do it anyway you don't have to make that choice so do you think that adult services kind of helped you along with making your own choices around food definitely as I've got older um the first time I went there and I was kind of faced with that I don't think I responded very well to it just because Mm. I felt really unprepared to be kind of managing my own recovery so significantly when under cams you you don't have to take that as much responsibility yeah. for it because like you said you've got your parents to do that and you've got like mental health services um who kind of take on a lot of that responsibility for you and I really really struggled when I first went into mm. adult eating disorder services with that idea and felt I guess just a bit frustrated with them because I kind of thought well I, I can't really help myself and that's why I'm here but having said that as I've got older and particularly this time around I think it's been really like empowering to be able to take Mm. that much control over my own recovery and make my own decisions. And I think it's just really highlighted to me that I'm the only one that can kind of make it happen. Like I've needed support along the way to do it, but ultimately it's kind of up to me whether I make the right decisions to stay kind of on the, on the right path or not. Um, And I think that's, I do think that's quite empowering to know that it's kind of within your control to do that. Yeah, absolutely. And I think that's, it's a very important thing to notice, because at the end of the day, obviously, having support around is incredible. But you at the end of the day, can't sort of nobody else can make the changes for you, it has to come from within. And do you think that because obviously you'd gone from the child service where there was a lot of support and sort of telling you what to do rather than giving you the reins? How do you think that they could make that transition smoother into the adult services because you're not the first person I've heard that said I went from child services when my parents were in control and then it was like oh you're 18 now you're an adult Mm. you know what you need to do now sort of attitude there needs to be like a much bigger overlap between services I think and that is definitely getting better but I think for me I left CAMS at 18 but I didn't go back into adult services till I was 20 so there was quite a big gap in the middle so I didn't have that sort of overlap Mm -hmm. um so it was kind of like by the time I went back I'd already been out of services for like two years so it was just it just was like a really abrupt jump for me because there wasn't that sort of transition period in the middle yeah definitely and again this is this might be a personal question but what do you think caused your relapse it's a really good question and I still don't really know the answer to it to be honest because I don't think at any time it's happened I've ever really had a clear 
answers to why it's happened. And a lot of the work I did in therapy this time was about kind of finding out like what function anorexia served for me. And a lot of that was about getting like a sense of achievement and feeling like I wanted to be in control of things and, you know, kind of things that people associate as quite like typical reasons for eating disorders kind of did apply to me. And I think I can kind of hypothesize, I suppose, that I was in a place where I felt like I was kind of just ticking along and not really, you know, I'd been in the same job for a couple of years and I'd kind of reached the ceiling of where I was going to get to in that job and I wasn't studying anymore and I would I didn't really feel like I was kind of chasing anything I suppose and I kind of need that as just yeah just my personality that's just kind of I need to feel like I'm just sort of having these achievements and I think maybe my brain just kind of went well I know what you're really good at (laughs) maybe this is something you can achieve instead and then and then I did but it meant that I ended up having to be off work for like six months and it delayed my going back to uni for like a year so actually like all the other things that I wanted to achieve it actually just really like put a, put a dampener on it but I that's kind of just a guess really I'm not I'm still mm. not exactly sure what happened uh, on any of the times it's happened but I guess like what I've learned in therapy this time is that it doesn't it doesn't really matter what the reason is as long as I can identify what the symptoms are that it's happening yeah. Um, because there might be you know lots of things that come up in my life that might be things that trigger a relapse and they might be different every time but as long as I can kind of recognize it's happening then I can stop it yeah absolutely and I think you're so right like it's not going to be the same thing every time that causes you to feel that but I suppose it might be nice for people listening if you could maybe explain what the sort of things you look out for maybe now that you would potentially think might be a sign of that you might potentially relapse just if people are listening and thinking well what are those signs that they could look out for I think like behaviorally it's stuff like a sort of gradual reduction in what I'm eating or cutting out particular food groups or maybe exercising a little bit more things Mm. like that um that might just tend to creep up over time but thinking wise I guess it's maybe that I'm like paying a lot more attention to what I look like and doing things like starting to fixate on my weight a little bit more worrying about sort of eating around other people that sort of stuff and I guess like I I think I would think that maybe just placing like too much importance on my weight would be like a really Mm. a, a strong indicator that there was a problem because I'm starting to after having treatment for the last like year and a half or so starting to kind of be able to move away from that a little bit now so I think I'd notice if it kind of crept back up and started happening again yeah I think they're really good signs and it's nice that you're able to kind of move away from that and have a bit of freedom and I suppose something that kind of links onto that that I wanted to talk about with you today was sort of the idea of quasi recovery would you say that in between the periods of when you did relapse would you say you were in sort of a quasi recovery and not a full recovery and maybe that's sort of how it was I guess not easier but you might have slipped into a relapse because you weren't 100% recovered yeah definitely and it's like some of the work I did with my therapist this time around actually was saying that like we were talking about the sort of process of moving away from anorexia and actually how much do I want to be fully recovered and how much do I want to kind of hang on to it a little bit and we did some sort of pros and cons of and I said well I think I'd like to be 80% recovered and then still keep like a little bit of it just just as security I guess and because that's kind of what I'm used to and he kind of just said 
you can do that if you want, but your chances of being 100% anorexic again are going to be so much higher if you if you stick with the 20% because it just you're just on a knife edge the whole time then. Mm-hmm. And that was like a big like wake up call to me, I guess, that yeah, over however many years this has been going on for now, eight, you know, 17, 18 years, probably one of the relap- uh, reasons I have relapsed so many times is because I've always just been like teetering on the edge of it the whole time so I'm trying to really make sure that this is kind of the last time that I do it now because I just don't I don't want that to be my life anymore yeah absolutely and I think it's nice that you have been open about that in the fact that it it does make you feel safe I think having that sort of those rules in place and stuff it's sort of tricking you to stay there because you will be safe but actually it's it's just not a safe place to be and even if it does feel safe I think it's just not a fun life to live to be controlled by those rules by those restrictions there's such a big world out there that you know with an eating disorder you just don't get to notice because you're so fixated on well I can't eat that or I've got to exercise to do that it, it doesn't give you that freedom to kind of have an open mind it's like having blinkers on like you can only see mm. like exactly what's directly in front of you nothing around it and I think that's yeah it's really like suffocating and even when I was sort of in periods of being more well in between being in services I was still very very anxious about social situations and anything that involved or food centric socializing worried about you know whether I was going to be doing exercise at particular times and stuff like that and always thinking like I had to do some sort of compensation so even when I have been more well and apparently functioning very well to the outside world those thoughts have still been very present yeah what I'm trying to make a real conscious effort of now is to try and fight them so that they eventually just Mm. disappear yeah and what sort of things have you been doing because I think it's personally where I stand the hardest part was not moving from like being in the depth of an eating disorder to the sort of like to the outside world I'm okay but actually I'm really fighting on the inside and I'm struggling it was moving from that point to like normal not saying that any part of it is easy but I think it's very easy to sit in that safe comfortable zone so what sort of things have you been doing to sort of push yourself out of that into that kind of freedom area a lot of it is like partially like behavioural and some of it's internal, I guess. So a lot of it is that I'm just trying to challenge a lot of the rules that I've still got that are a bit of a hangover that mm. I could live the rest of my life with them in terms of just I can only eat at certain times or, you know, I have like a calorie limit for a particular snack or whatever. And they're not things that have any real significant impact on my life, but I just don't want to have any rules anymore. So I'm trying to just do things that challenge all those little ones that I could probably function with forever but that I just find them quite frustrating and the other thing is just doing like a lot of thought challenging so that's like something I did a lot of in therapy of just kind of whenever one of those thoughts come up just saying whatever the alternative is to myself and then eventually I'm kind of just training my brain to be able to do that automatically rather than it having to be a real effort of thinking well I just had the thought that I shouldn't eat this and now I'm going to have the thought that I should eat this it's kind of starting to happen as a more automatic process now because I'm doing it so often and that's so nice to hear because I think it's so true that at the start when you do something it feels incredibly difficult but then once you've done it you know sometimes you've done it twice and it feels like sometimes you'd have to do it a hundred times but it does get to the point where it starts to become just a little bit easier so yeah that's really lovely to hear 
Another thing that I wanted to talk about with you today, I wanted to talk about the implications that you having bipolar disorder has had on your eating disorder. I think in terms of like the depression side of it, I think one of the symptoms that obviously a lot of people have is that you just don't have particularly much of an appetite or very much Mm. motivation. And that's sort of all right to manage at the time, but it's more when I'm kind of coming out the other side of it and having to sort of force myself to get back into a routine with that sort of thing is difficult. And also on the flip side, when I get manic, I tend to not really eat very much because I'm just Mm. doing other things and I'm not thinking about it. It's just not a priority. And then I tend to always just accidentally lose a little bit of weight when that happens. Mm. And it's just like a, a switch flips. And then I'm instantly like, oh, well, that was easy. So I can just lose a little bit more. And I, I, I think I'm really good at not acting on that now. But it very much does, I think, stall my recovery a little bit sometimes mm. because it's so easy to fall back into those patterns once they start happening. I think one thing that sounds difficult there is for somebody that didn't have an eating disorder if they just accidentally lost a bit of weight it wouldn't have like a big impact I mean for them it wouldn't you know they just start eating normally again and they get back onto it but I personally have found that so many things that are okay for the like you know normal person in society for someone with an eating disorder it's not like not having breakfast one day that's absolutely fine for my boyfriend he can have his lunch and his breakfast in one meal but for me that's not and that sounds quite similar to what you've said there about sort of losing that weight it's then a bit of like a spiral downwards Mm. yeah and I think you're right and just in terms of like routine and things like that it's I I just think those thoughts are so automatic sometimes of oh well I missed breakfast yesterday so I I can miss it today and then oh well I haven't had it all week so I just don't have it next week and it just spirals so so quickly I think like you said we just have to be so on top of all those things and actually one day maybe it won't matter if Mm. I you know miss a couple of snacks or whatever because my brain won't automatically go to that place but at the moment it does so you just Mm. have to yeah just be really really on top of it also I had one of the the sort of quite significant relapses I had was after I got diagnosed with bipolar disorder and I got put on a medication that caused quite a lot of weight gain and I'd been relatively well up until that time for a good couple of years and then I just couldn't just couldn't tolerate it at all and Mm. that's when I ended up having another big relapse so I do look back on that sometimes and think actually would I just still be well now if that hadn't happened Mm. um there's no way of knowing obviously but that yeah that was caused a really significant problem Mm. and has the therapy that you've done for your eating disorder has that does that correlate in any which way or has that helped with the bipolar or are they just completely different kettles of fish kind of the other way around in a way because I had therapy with the community mental health team after Mm. I had a relapse like a bipolar relapse and that was a lot about focusing on I really it was the first relapse I'd had since I was diagnosed and I was really struggling to process it because I kind of when I got diagnosed I was just like oh well I just won't think about that again and then it kind of came up and I was like oh I actually haven't dealt with how I feel about this at Mm. all um so I got some therapy with the community mental health team and a lot about that was focusing on my like perfectionism and my need to always be like high achieving and feel like I'm always doing something and that was really eye-opening in terms of how much that fed into my eating disorder so I think yeah the reason I had that therapy with the community mental health team is uh, because I had this spiral just being like I feel like I'm not in control of my life because I can't control when these episodes happen um and also I feel like I guess I'm like a bit of a 
a failure because I don't have any control over it and maybe I'm not going to do as well in life as I could if I didn't have it and just this big big really negative spiral about it that I can now see a lot of mirrors into the sort of function my eating disorder serves and what I get out of it in in that so it's, it was kind of the other way around and my therapy from the community mental health team actually really linked into kind of how I how I now look at my eating disorder and the work I did with them. That's really interesting and almost it's weird how it complemented it because I think initially you would you know with that diagnosis it might be something you'd take really negatively but actually it sounds like maybe it has helped you so that's really good you know there's a lot of I think eating disorders have a lot of sort of stigmas associated with them but to where I stand I don't know a lot about bipolar disorder but I think there's even more so do you think do you agree or what kind of where do you stand on that yeah, probably, because I think it's just less like mainstream than yeah. eating disorders are. And I think eating disorders are, are hugely misunderstood, despite how mainstream they are, yeah. um, because we just see this one picture of what, you know, an anorexic person looks like. And that's kind of what everyone's perception of eating disorders is. But I think for bipolar disorder, there is this idea that people are just all over the place and just out of control all the time, and just mood swings like constantly and um uh, it's just not really like that like particularly mm. when you're like medicated as well like I can go easily like two or three years without having any sort of episode yeah. and 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 just you know I think people have this perception that you're just kind of all over the place every day and that's not the case at all like most of the time I'm fine it's just when it goes wrong it, it goes really wrong but yeah I think you're probably right in that there is still a lot of stigma around it just because people don't really understand what it is yeah I speak about this a lot but I think when you're you know in kind of the circle that we are in like raising awareness for eating disorders and stuff you think that everyone knows what it is and everyone knows the right thing because you're like well all these amazing people are talking about their experiences so how can nobody be listening to this but then actually like you go stand and talk to an old person they're like I don't know about any of this but I mean I personally think that I've heard a lot more about eating disorders than I have bipolar disorder and maybe that's sort of where those stigmas come from because people aren't speaking up maybe I think with Mm. eating disorders we're now at a point where like a lot more people are speaking up because a lot of people have already spoken up so there's there's more they feel more comfortable I guess to share their own story yeah and I think there's much less like public figures that talk about it than there is about eating disorders I can only think of a real handful off the top of my head Mm. um and it's not something don't really see it like portrayed in like media as often either I don't think in terms of like films and just tv and stuff like that as much as you do with eating disorders so I think it is um yeah it's a very misunderstood illness Mm, yeah I think the only person I can think of in the media is Jean from EastEnders Mm, I don't even I can't think of anyone (laughs) no but but the way that they portray and that is like you've said of being very erratic and all over the place Mm. and like you said that's just not the case so I think it's giving people the wrong message yeah and that can be the case for some people but it's not it's not common that people would just be Mm. chaotic for like their entire life um some people treatment doesn't work as well for but I'd say for most of us we're able to function most of the time it's just that when we're unwell we're unwell and then you know you get the treatment that you need and you get better and then you kind of carry on again as normal yeah well thank you for sharing that hopefully that will give people a kind of better understanding something that I want to talk about with you was 
from your blogs was kind of the symptoms of anorexia that nobody talks about. I think we all, unfortunately, kind of anorexia is the eating disorder we think of. But I think in that people just think you don't like food. So would you be okay to share some of those things that you spoke about in your blog to kind of give people more of an understanding of those behaviours? Yeah, I think probably the biggest one is like you've just said that people think that you don't like food and actually it's the complete opposite. It's just complete like overwhelming obsession. And like that's just kind of naturally what happens to people when they're hungry. Mm. But it's obviously so intensified because a lot of it is is like a physiological reaction. And when you actually start doing like refeeding and go on a meal plan and start restoring some weight, a lot of those behaviours disappear because so much of them are just in a, a biological response to starvation um but things like I used to just dream about food constantly when I was asleep and I'd have like nightmares that I was eating and I'd wake up and not remember if it had happened or not mm. um and just like I was absolutely obsessed with everyone else like what they were eating so I'd do stuff like every time my boyfriend went shopping he'd walk in the door and I'd have my head like in his shopping bag like looking at all his food and um always asking people what they had for dinner and what they were having for lunch and stuff like that and I think it must have absolutely driven people mad but I just couldn't stop talking about yeah. it it was just constant and I used to do stuff like go to the supermarket and then just fill like baskets up with loads of stuff that I wanted to eat and then just like leave them and like hypothetical food orders and stuff like that as well for like takeaways mm. and just put like loads of food that I wanted to eat in and then just not ever do the checkout. So I was just constantly really, really obsessed with food, like watching people eat, like videos of people eating, uh, watching people cooking, collecting recipes, like everything that was just complete like fixation on like, my whole life mm. just centered around it and another thing is like body checking that people don't really realize that people do and the sort of many ways that that can happen so people think of maybe like weighing yourself a lot or like measuring yourself with tape measures but there's other things like um trying on like particular clothes to see um if they still fit you like the same way things like just grabbing different parts of your body to see if they've changed like where they feel changes I do like take just like hundreds and hundreds of pictures of myself and then compare them to ones that I've taken like the day before and the month before to see like what changes I could notice and stuff so it's like doing like body checking stuff constantly and another one I think as well people think a lot about exercise and like excessive exercise being a problem which it can be for people but there's also this sort of lower level movement that people don't really talk about very often which is just where you feel the need to like stand up a lot or you're doing lots of mm. cleaning or you're just sort of pottering around the house or like people you know fidgeting and stuff like that which is all just this overwhelming need to just be constantly moving because you feel like if you if you stop moving you're not burning any calories so it'd be even if I wasn't exercising I'd be like standing up or just fidgeting in my chair and things like that that again must have just been really annoying to people but I just couldn't stop myself doing it it's funny I mean it's not funny in the slightest but I always find it interesting when people talk about things like this because I used to be obsessed with man versus food and Mm. like because he obviously ate a lot of food and I just find it fascinating that we're we've we've all never met we've never discussed what we do but our brain is still working in the same way like it is I mean it's crazy but it is fascinating that the the things are so similar for such like random behaviors they are so similar yeah and they're really like ritualistic as well like I know and it gets what you get more rigid in your thinking, the more starved your brain is. So they just get worse and worse over time. So things like only eating at certain times or in certain places or with particular crockery. Um, 
only around certain people or, or maybe around nobody, cutting things up a certain amount of times or chewing a certain amount of times and all these rituals just come into place that end up making eating into just such a significant ordeal. But like for me anyway, I don't know if it's the same for other people, but it's because I was doing it so infrequently that it had to just become this huge ceremony because it was mm-hmm. it was such a big deal that I was kind of allowing myself to do that, that I had to turn it into something really big or it felt kind of like a waste. Yeah, I think that is so common especially around foods maybe that we wouldn't give ourselves that unsafe foods I guess it they kind of become a much more important thing and like a ceremony it definitely feels sort of like focused on like this is amazing I'm never going to eat it again sort of thing yeah definitely it's that like scarcity mindset isn't it just yeah this is yeah like you said I'm never going to eat this again so I need to just make the absolute most of it now. And just things like, yeah, if, if anyone like interrupted any of those routines, I would just be like, this is the worst thing that could have possibly mm. happened because you've just ruined this entire process that, mm. that is such an important part of my day. And now I'm not going to get to do it again for however long. And I just think, yeah, people just have to like tread on eggshells around you mm. constantly. Like, I think it must be so, so difficult for people watching on. Yeah, absolutely. And what sort of steps did you take to sort of overcome those ritualistic behaviors that you kind of had in place well honestly a lot of them just kind of disappeared once I started (laughs) just eating more regularly and and did a bit of weight restoration and I think being in day patient really helped because they kind of that was quite ritualistic in a way because it was very you know you're eating at very set times and you were strict meal plans and stuff but they always made sure they did things like you never knew where you were going to sit at the table they just arranged that for you before you went in and stuff so you couldn't be like well I I need to sit in this seat to eat yeah um like you might in your own house for example or at work or whatever um so they were quite good at sort of as much as they could breaking that up and they did something called surprise snack every week where there was like one mm-hmm. particular snack in a week where you wouldn't know what it was until you went in there which is horribly horribly anxiety provoking but was actually really helpful I think it just challenging like a lot of those sort of rules about having to always be prepared and to kind of know what's coming and, and also the fact that you like you know you think if you eat something that you've not planned for, you're not prepared for, then the absolute worst possible case scenario is going to happen. And then actually like nothing really, nothing bad happens. So that was really useful. And then a lot of them in terms of just wanting to do things like really prolong the period of time I was eating for, or to eat with like certain knife and fork and stuff like that. They just kind of dropped away by themselves, like Mm. pretty quickly actually after I went, back on on sort of like a like refeeding plan and then other things like only eating at certain times and things like that I've had to kind of force myself to break them a little bit because they've been part of my life for just a really long time even like pre-relapse I was always quite routine about when and where I was eating but go to uni now and my lunch break is like a different time to when I used to eat and like sometimes I go from work a bit later so I have to have dinner at a different time and just kind of going back into normal life has forced Mm. me to challenge a lot of those rules I've had anyway because they're just not compatible with like the way that I want to live now yeah I think that's the thing isn't it like you know when you start working or like say at uni you can't have those rigid rules of I have to have lunch at x o'clock because you might have something else going on and you know that you can't just not have it you've got to have it so yeah I think that is that's really great that you've been able to have that amount of flexibility to sort of challenge those behaviors and I think as well the the nice thing about having that surprise snack is sometimes you might go out with your friends and just 
they might fancy an ice cream or something which is not planned you've not planned it into your day or whatever but it's so much nicer to be able to be like oh yeah I'm gonna join in as well rather than sit there and not take part and just kind of feel sad that you've you've not got the ability to take part yeah definitely like the amount of times I can think of where that's like a really good example of you know just going out with your friends and then stopping for like an ice cream or hot chocolate or something and I'm just like watching on really wishing that I could join in but just didn't feel like I could Mm -hmm. and there would still be times now I guess where I would still feel depending on what it was that I didn't feel able to but actually a lot of times now I, I feel like I'm able to be a lot more spontaneous than I used to be able to yeah that's really good I think sometimes as well um, again this is just like a personal thing that I've done but sometimes I'll say I'm gonna get it and I'll just have a bit and then actually when I do I'm like this is actually really nice and I'm gonna carry on now but it's kind of not having that initial no I can't do it mm-hmm. and having that barrier it's sort of like we'll just test the water and see how we go yeah it feels a bit safer doesn't it to say yeah. to yourself we don't have to have all of it you can just try it and then when you try it you're like oh actually it's fine yeah. <laughs> and this is delicious yeah <laughs> Um, and then the other thing kind of linked in with that as well, I suppose, things maybe people don't talk about. I think we we kind of hear a lot in especially with anorexia is, you know, maybe losing your period and also sort of like brittle bones. Um, but I know you wrote a blog on kind of the other side effects that can happen. And I just wondered if you would mind explaining those for us. Yeah, yeah. So one of them I think people don't know about, particularly because like you lose a, a lot of hair on your head when you're um, sort of malnourished is that you actually get like really hairy everywhere else. And it's like your body's like a sort of mechanism to try and keep you warm when you've got really low body fat so that you grow like a, just a really fine layer of hair like all over your body and particularly on places like your back and your face and stuff. And like, I, I don't think I have any on my face now, but I still did for ages after I'd weight restored and you can't really see it unless you're up close, but it is like noticeable and it kind of just sheds away like by itself after your body's kind of like oh actually I'm safe and this isn't gonna you know I'm not gonna immediately go back into this starvation period and have to you know do all these sort of resources to keep my like to keep myself alive but that's something I don't think like a lot of people know about at all and things like if you've got problems with like purging it's really bad for your teeth um and people end up like losing teeth or getting a lot of fillings and things like that also you can like tear your esophagus which is really dangerous really really dangerous and if you're purging by laxatives obviously that can cause like incontinence and things like that which is obviously nobody wants to have to deal with that and also you can get sort of like really like permanent bowel damage from that and that's really dangerous like there's nothing you can do to reverse that if you've been misusing laxatives and you don't actually some people are just luckier than others and you don't actually have to be doing it for very long at all for that to happen whereas other people could be using them for you know 10 years and have no sort of long-term consequences and other people it might be like two or three months it just kind of depends on how your body functions really so that's really dangerous also another thing people don't know is because when you are losing a lot of weight or when you're underweight a lot of that is like muscle wastage and you use muscles to do things like control your bladder so people can also become incontinent just because they don't have like the muscles in their body to be able to stop that happening and that's not common but it is definitely like a very unglamorous side effect yeah like a lot of people don't know about being really cold all the time one like the reason that you grow hair on your body is to try and stop that happening and that's really unpleasant because it's really hard to explain but it's like a cold that's like really like deep in your body like you just feel like you're never going to warm up like your bones are cold and even like you can have a hot bath and as soon as you get back out you're just freezing again um and again that just goes away once you put way back on 
and just things like just having like really poor concentration um just being really tired all the time being really irritable like I just think I'm so unpleasant to be around when I'm really unwell because like I don't I just don't care what anyone else is talking about like I'm really grumpy all I want to talk about is food and people just don't want to talk about that all the time it's boring um but obviously when you're really unwell it's not boring it's the focus of your entire life yeah. it's like the most interesting thing going on for you but that's just not the case when you're sort of more well or when you don't have an eating disorder there's obviously you know life's amazing there's way more interesting <laughs> stuff going on in life than what someone ate for breakfast but that just doesn't feel like that to you when you're kind of in that zone but I just think I think there's this perception maybe that they're quite I guess like clean illnesses because it's quite like there's this idea that you're just quite restrained and you're in control and you've got all this willpower and actually that's not the case at all and they're really dangerous and like you know you can you can die from them because there is all these awful side effects in terms of mm. like the muscle wastage it's not just about things like incontinence that's like your heart's a muscle and that's why a lot of people die is because like you just your organs just fail in the end so it's really very very dangerous and very unpleasant illness I think often we don't one we don't want to talk about those side effects because they are scary and I think I think it can either go one way or another with people they're either like well it's never going to happen to me so why does it matter or it's just like puts you in such a terrified state that you're like well Mm. I'm never going to recover anyway if that's if that's sort of the consequence but I think it does need to be spoken about more because I think in society especially like you know nowadays going on a diet is every man and his dog basically (laughs) is on a diet and eating disorders are kind of just seen as a diet gone wrong I'm not speaking for everybody but a lot of people that go on a diet if they want to they can snap out of it and the next day they're just back to their normal eating habits but for somebody with an eating disorder it's not just a diet It, it you know it's a mental health problem that is completely ingrained into you that you cannot just snap out of even if somebody tells you your heart is beginning to fail it's it's just not something that you can think okay well I'll just I'll stop tomorrow yeah and you're I think I I was very much sort of flitting between those two things of like one day I'd be like I'm absolutely fine and and that's never going to happen to me and then another day I'd be like oh my god I'm literally dying and I can't stop myself Mm. doing it um so I was really back and forth on it and I think in some ways although on paper I've been very very lucky in some ways it's been to my detriment that I've not had any sort of really significant health consequences because it has sort of reinforced that invincibility that I felt the whole time I was unwell like like literally nobody in my team could believe my DEXA scan came back fine after being underweight for like so many periods of my life and I was told that I would probably have permanent bowel damage and I don't have any um and just little things like I have like regular periods now for the first time probably since they started um at the grand old age of 30 and it's literally like my body is just gone yeah okay like now you're feeding us and let's just let's just work as normal um and I think it's just it baffles a lot of people including me um but it does it does reinforce that actually I can put my body through anything Mm. and I've come out the other side of it fine and that's just not the case because especially as I'm getting older like it's just not going to bounce back as quickly as it has done the rest of the time and I think I just need to kind of take this as well I've been very lucky so far but that just can't that can't last and I don't want to risk putting myself in a position where I kind of put an end to that really I think I I definitely don't take it for granted that I've come out Mm. of it so I'm gazed yeah I mean and medical consequences 
aside, I'm I'm going to assume that your life moving away from anorexia on a whole is a lot nicer now rather than what it was before. Yeah, significantly. I literally <laughs> feel like a different person. And like loads of people said that to me around me as well. It was just like, I just feel like you're kind of like becoming yourself again because it just it just completely like saps your personality out doesn't it I was so like boring and lifeless and just like Mm. miserable when I was really unwell and I just I just feel like really like detached from it I guess now like Mm. I look back on it and I think I can't believe that that was me that that did that and behaved like that and because it just feels like so far away from like who I am as a person Mm. No, and that I think is fantastic that you've been able to. It's funny that like, I always joke to my boyfriend like, when we first started dating and, and I'd be like, oh, you know, it's like some questions to have a conversation. I'd be like, what's your favourite food? And he'd be like, can we just talk about anything other than what my favourite food is? Like, that's so boring. That's not yeah. interesting in the slightest. And I'd be like, no, that's like the golden <laughs> thing that I need to know. <laughs> Yeah, because it's your whole life, isn't it? It's, mm-hmm. It just feels so significant. Like, I literally, I'd come into work and people come in and I'd be like, what do you have for breakfast? And they're just like, why are you asking? Like, that's that's such a boring question. But yeah. like, I hadn't had any, so I wanted to just eat it like mm. vicariously through other people. Like, if you tell me what you've eaten, maybe I feel like I can enjoy it a little bit. And I know on your Instagram, you've been very open about your eating disorder recovery. And I wanted to kind of ask you, I think a lot of people have been impacted by COVID in their recovery. And I sort of wanted to ask from your perspective, the impact that that's had on you. It's really mixed because I think I'm in a fortunate position, I guess, where I've actually recovered or, you know, started recovery, like in this process, whereas a lot of people have relapsed, but that's because I was already in treatment. Um, it did really impact my treatment. So I didn't have a single face-to-face therapy session and we did it all over Zoom, um, which he managed like incredibly. I couldn't fault him at all. Um, And I still feel like I got a huge amount out of it, which I think says a lot about him as a therapist that that was, I didn't really feel like my experience of it was that significantly impacted, but it definitely delayed my progress a lot when we first went into lockdown because my care changed so abruptly like overnight because I was still in day patient when it happened so I was literally right. went from like going to the clinic every day and having like all this really intensive support to just nothing um which was really really difficult and then I think I really struggled going back to work because I felt like I was going back into a completely different job to the one that I'd left because that was I, I went off sick pre-COVID and went back in the right. in the midst of it and obviously being a nurse in the middle of a pandemic is not something I ever thought that I'd have to contend with so I was really just felt I felt really unprepared for it because other people I guess at work I mean they obviously everybody got thrown into it but by the time that I went back to work everyone had been working in it for like three or four months so I mm. felt like completely de-skilled um was still on a really fragile place with my recovery and I got very very stuck I would say for probably about four or five months maybe where I was just like well this is as good as it's ever gonna get now and I still wasn't like at my target weight and I was still living a very like rigid lifestyle even though it was less restrictive in terms of what I was eating I was still very tied to only eating at certain times and in certain places and certain things and there was still like a lot of rules I guess that I was having to live by to maintain where I was at and I did kind of think well that's the end now and this is as good as it's going to get and I think a lot of that was because I felt very frustrated that I wasn't getting any face-to-face support and I was finding work quite difficult and I think I just felt like 
lockdown was going on forever and ever and ever and all the things that I'd kind of put as my things that were kind of rewards to myself for recovering which was like going to festivals and going on holidays and Mm -hmm. doing all these things with my friends and my partner and all of them just felt like they got snatched away from me so I was just like well what's the point so I would say I was really stagnant for quite a while but my therapist like as well he was amazing because he just didn't give up on me during that time and I think other people might have because like I said you do have to take a lot of responsibility for your own recovery and adult services and I do wonder if I'd have had a different therapist maybe they'd have gone well you're not you know you've kind of stopped trying so let's just call mm-hmm. it a day but he didn't um which I really am grateful for because then I kind of came out the other side of it I would say probably around maybe Christmas time like the sort of end of last year and then I've made really significant steps this year as well since 2021 um but it definitely did have an impact in terms of just like how isolated I felt as well because mm-hmm. I was suddenly like you know seeing people and like socializing was a really significant part of my recovery and I just didn't have access to that anymore Mm. either so I think I've been really fortunate in that I've kind of managed to recover in this period of time rather than relapse but I haven't managed to do that I think because I've had like a really supportive treatment team that was already in place before it happened. I think the thing that I would think that would be quite a big part of recovery that maybe COVID has impacted is the sort of like you said earlier seeing friends and stuff and like we were saying about that, that random ice cream or going out for dinner and stuff like that do you think that not being able to do things like that has impacted you at all or have you sort of had your own challenges I guess at home that you're like actually I think if, if I had to do that sort of thing I would be okay I have tried to do my own challenges at home but I don't think there's anything that you can do that quite replicates being in that situation and I I did manage to go out for dinner a couple of times just Mm -hmm. in the sort of brief windows between lockdowns (laughs) I kind of made an effort to be like right I'm going to use this opportunity to do something that that is challenging but I do think I have a lot more anxiety now about sort of like food centric socialization than I would have had I been able to do it more over the year but I think because I've just not had to really expose myself to that very often I'm probably much more anxious about it than I would be had this not Mm. happened and I think it's it's really nice that you've been honest and said that because you know I think people general people on the street are anxious about sort of seeing friends again seeing family you know I don't know about you but my social clock after about an hour ticks off I'm like I am ready for bed I saw some friends yesterday for five hours and I went to sleep at eight o'clock like I was I was so so unbelievably tired and it's sort of that you know you, you when you see people on zoom you just turn your computer off and you roll over into bed so I think naturally there's that anxiety so then to have the addition of it being around food is is quite difficult um but do you have any advice for people if they are feeling a bit apprehensive about those sort of situations of of how you're maybe going to manage it that you could advise people um I think I like to I try and like plan for things in advance as much as I can and I don't I don't think that feeds into my eating disorder too much because I think a lot of people do that and it's more just about um kind of me having an idea of what to expect really and that kind of reduces my anxiety a little bit and also like everybody knows and so people are like really supportive Mm. of those kind of situations um and that's really helpful because I guess I feel like I don't have to be like secretive about the fact that it's really stressful and I don't have to pretend 
um, because like the last time I went out for dinner with my friends, we went out and it was um, places like they weren't really taking bookings. You just had to turn up, which made no sense to me in COVID. I thought it would make more sense to yeah. take bookings, but there was loads of places that were like, we're not taking them during COVID. So we turned up and there was like a massive queue. And so we went somewhere else and I just hadn't prepared for it at all. And I didn't know what was on the menu or anything like that. And I managed it okay, but it was so stressful. And on the way back, my friends were just like, are you okay? Because that, you know, we know that that's something that actually, you know, three months ago, six months ago, just would have been impossible for you. So I think the fact that I've been kind of open about it and shared with people that it's stressful has made it like a much easier process. Absolutely. I think having those open conversations with people, one, it settles your anxiety, because if you do just need to say to somebody, I'm struggling a bit here, voicing it, but a problem shared is a problem halved. And sometimes I think rather than have it ticking over in your head constantly, like I'm struggling, I'm struggling, this is really difficult. Just saying it out loud, kind of it it helps the situation anyway. Um, mm. But also I think it's it's probably quite nice for the people that you're with to sort of know as well, because if you do just sort of all of a sudden close up and you're quiet, they know that it's nothing they've done. It's just, you need a moment to sort of, you know, consult, like, you know, come back, reflect on what's happening and then like get back into the into the moment um I think also what you said about planning I agree I guess I agree to an extent like I, I want to kind of question how much planning you would do like for me personally now when I go out I like to know where I'm going like you said but I don't let myself look at the menu because I want the choice the food choice to be what Hannah wants right there rather than what mm. eating disorder is planned in advance so how would you plan would you like look at it to know what you're going to have or is it sort of just like a there's a lot of things that you could have here that you'd enjoy so just choose one that you'd like I do look but I I think a big part of that is because I'm vegetarian and because I'm quite (laughs) fussy um and some places are just not very good for like catering for vegetarians so I think I look more because I just don't really know if there are going to be options for me rather than the fact that I'm like I need to check what I'm going to have um and that very much used to be a big part of it but now I think it's more that I'm just like I don't want to turn up somewhere and there actually be nothing that I can eat um, because then I just think I've spent so much of my life inadvertently just being the center of attention at sort of food related mm-hmm. things because people are just tiptoeing around me and making sure that you know oh you know at least there's something she can have here and watching how much I'm eating and things like that and I just don't want to be in a situation where I'm like the center of attention in those sort of situations yeah. anymore so I would really just be mortified if I like turned up to go to a restaurant somewhere and then I was like I actually can't eat anything here because I feel like people have made accommodations to me in these situations like my whole life so I'd rather just know in advance and not put anyone in that position again yeah yeah I actually I'm vegetarian as well and I completely agree with you like there's been so many occasions where we'll go out and um, it's like today we went to there's a massive food market in Cambridge so we went to have some lunch and literally nowhere had a vegetarian option and I felt like I was being fussy and that I was Mm. like making a big deal but I was like well there literally isn't like so what am I (laughs) supposed to do in this situation um so yeah I think that I'm glad I asked you that question because I think that was a really good point to clarify for people that like you're doing it more for your like dietary requirements rather than I need to know that there's something safe there for me yeah um 
And something I wanted to ask you, which I saw one of your blogs and I didn't read it because I didn't want to ruin the surprise for me, but (laughs) you spoke about unicorn syndrome and Mm. I wanted to ask you what that was and how it links to eating disorders. So it's kind of like what we touched on earlier where people have that um, kind of like invincibility feeling. Um, So it basically is is the thing of where you think, well, um, other people die from this and other people get sick and other people have to go off work but none of that's mm-hmm. gonna happen right. to me and the reason I wrote that is because I got admitted to hospital at the end of 2019 and it was just a real wake-up call of just like oh actually I, I can't keep doing this because I just can't like I can't survive if I just keep keep doing this and this was just before I started treatment um and it was actually like two days before I met my case manager and I was put on the urgent waiting list so I didn't have to wait very long between my assessment and when I saw him and then by the time I saw him I'd just had this hospital admission and he just said actually I, I don't think therapy is it's the right time for therapy at the moment and that's when I get put on the waiting list for day patient um but yeah I wrote that after of just being like wait I'm not I'm not invincible at all no matter how much my brain tells me that I am and people have been telling me for weeks you know like you look terrible like this isn't gonna you can't go on like this especially with like I'm still working full-time and stuff Mm -hmm. people kept saying to me you'll you'll be fine until the minute that you're not um and that'll be kind of when it hits you and I was just like that's exactly what happened I was fine I was fine I was fine and then I just very very quickly wasn't um so it was a real a real shock to me that that I was just like oh actually I don't think I'm as okay as I keep sort of making myself think that I am yeah I really like that um like that analogy because I think personally when when I was ill I didn't realize I was either like I I felt you know I could do everything I wanted to do I was absolutely invincible like no exercise got me tired nothing mm. and then as soon as I started recovery it's sort of that wake up call and I was like oh my god I am so tired I am yeah. exhausted <laughs> like somebody get me a sofa to lie down on <laughs> yeah when I started day patient I was literally like the prior to that I was just spending so much time walking and then I got there and I just every time I ate I just slapped afterwards and I was just like why this is supposed to be giving me more energy why am I so tired yeah and they just said basically because your body's just not accustomed to like digestion and just stuff like Mm -hmm. that and it takes huge amounts of effort for your body to do that and it's got no reserves to be able to do it so every time you eat every single bit of energy you get from that food is just immediately being like shared out over the rest of your body so you're not actually getting any of it to like your brain enough to give you energy to sort of walk around and stuff like that so yeah I completely agree with that because I just I just kept going and going and going and going and it was almost like as soon as someone told me I had permission to stop I was just like wow I am done yeah yeah get me out of here (laughs) I'm a celebrity get me out of here (laughs) well it's been so lovely to speak to you Cara I really enjoyed getting to know you the last question that I've been asking people is quite a broad question but it's just if if somebody is listening today and they really resonate with what you've been saying what would be your top tip or best advice for them to you know get on the path of recovery probably just to make sure that you kind of share it with somebody like I don't think it has to be a professional although obviously that really helps but I just think eating disorders just absolutely love secrecy and I think the more secretive you are about it just the the more difficult recovery is and this is the most 
open about it that I've ever been not just sort of publicly but also just with people like in my life and it's also not the easiest recovery has been that's not right at all it's been horrible every time but I guess it's been I've felt less like I'm on my own this mm-hmm. time than I have other times because I've kind of let people in and that's made a really significant difference yeah I think it's it's so important because when I think when you're struggling with it on your own it's sort of you versus the eating disorder and you feel so tiny in comparison to this thing that's just completely taken over whereas once you share it with somebody it's like you've got your little army behind you all going into battle rather than just you and then it's sort of like they've not got a leg to stand on yeah absolutely yeah well thank you so much and it's been absolutely lovely to talk to you thanks for having me I feel like that conversation with Cara will be invaluable for somebody in recovery from an eating disorder as she provided lots of different tips and tricks for noticing relapses and also throughout recovery and ensuring that you reach a full recovery rather than having some eating disorder behaviours linger. I also like the fact that she talked about the health consequences and sort of the cognitions that happen, which I think will help people that haven't had an eating disorder understand what goes through your mind when you have an eating disorder, and I think that can often be quite difficult to understand. Next week, we'll be joined by Dr. Yian Kranswick, who is a lecturer at Leeds Beckett University with an interest in muscle dysmorphia. Yian has been conducting some research on the impact of COVID and steroid use, and it was really interesting to talk to him to find out more about muscle dysmorphia, because I think there are a lot of stigmas, and also there isn't that much known about it. Muscularity is almost like this resource that people can build up. And that can then be spent and used in ways that that benefit them from an identity perspective or from a a work perspective. So if I'm big and muscular in a setting where I need to look protective, I look like I can protect someone. Whether I can or can't doesn't matter. If I look like I can, then I'm going to scare people off and people aren't going to mess with me. Or the, the idea that this muscularity has a lot of symbolic meaning to it. It's not just about looking a certain way. It's not just this superficial image it's what that image represents if you enjoyed listening today you won't want to miss next week's episode so please be sure to subscribe please also like comment and share this podcast with anyone you feel that may be struggling at the moment not only those with eating disorders but also their loved ones as this can be a difficult time for everyone eating disorders are crippling illnesses and this podcast aims to motivate and inspire others to embark their recovery journey for further support please visit the beat or the first steps website or speak to your local gp see you next week bye